Welcome to the Friends for Life podcast. My name is Lisa Anderson. And I'm Mackie Alston. And we are beloved friends and co-conspirators interviewing other friends and co-conspirators. Thanks for being with us as we explore the ways in which friendship helps us create a world of love and justice. So welcome, beloveds, to episode five, season two of Friends for Life. Today, we are happy to welcome Conda Mason to be with us. Conda is a social entrepreneur, earth and social justice activist, and mindfulness teacher. Conda is the founder and president of Jubilee Justice Incorporated, which is a nonprofit working to bring climate resilient farming and economic equity to BIPOC farmers in the rural South in order to restore and accelerate Black land ownership and stewardship and create thriving Black farming communities. Conda's work is fueled by a passion to tirelessly work to help create a world that is environmentally regenerative, spiritually fulfilling, socially just, and economically equitable. As a Buddhist practitioner and teacher, Conda understands all life on earth as interconnected and longs for the day when humanity wakes up to this truth and builds a world based on interdependence, compassion, and belonging where all life is valued equally. I love everything about that bio. So um, welcome, Kanda, welcome. Thank you. So wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, Mackie, do you have a word to say before we launch in with Kanda? You know the show is called Friends for Life. And uh, Lisa, you and I have been friends for over 20 Mm -hmm. years. And sometimes we're interviewing friends that we both known for that long. Sometimes we're interviewing friends who bring friends. But what I love about this particular episode is that Kanda is a friend of mine who I'm just dying for you to know. Yeah. I'm dying for the listeners to know. But Lisa, I just can't wait for you to get to know Kanda. So yeah. Kanda, welcome. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for you all to know each other. And so let's dive yeah, in. Yeah, I love it. Well, this is what I can say. Anybody who's been a friend to Mackie for that long, I know that you all, you, you, you good people. Yeah. Oh, see, that makes me happy. That makes me so happy. So, um, so Kanda, we always start out um, sort of trying to get into our bodies a little bit. So just, you know, close your eyes if you feel so inclined and think about and answer this question. What? is delighting your senses these days? Hmm. So much. I can answer that that's such a, there's so much that's delighting my senses these days. First of all, it's spring. And the work that I do with soil and plants and food and farming, it is just the best time. It's when the seeds, it's like you put a seed in the ground and you put a seed in a, in, to, to, to make a transplant and you just trust that it's going to come up and be a plant. And you do take all this care and I love seeds and I'm with them 
all day now. We're, we're making thousands of transplants and taking care of them, understanding that in that one little seed, I do rice pr- primarily, and that one seed is going to be a huge plant that's going to reproduce thousands of itself. That's a miracle. It's crazy. It's crazy how the work how the world works, and so I'm 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 loving it. I'm just loving seeds, and and it's and that's what time of the year it is right now for me. So I'm super um, into this time when we are starting to just have that relationship. And you just I just want it to be happy and healthy. Mm happy and healthy and then there's times when it grows and the disease comes and all these things and you just worry but so at this moment it's it's not it's just happy and healthy and it's fun and it delights me oh i love that answer i love everything about it oh, oh my god i've said i love everything about twice and we've only just started <laughs> But that's a powerful, powerful answer. I was just listening to uh, one of your podcasts earlier, and I'm excited for this conversation because I realized that this world of Black farming and this real depth of relationship with the land as a completely urban girl with cement all around me my whole entire life um, and just finally moving to the South. And so there's a little patch outside. Um, I'm just beginning to just like imagine my hands inside of the earth. And so I'm, yeah, I'm thinking there's a new relationship to the world that's about to unfold. Yes, yes. Do it. Go out there in that little patch, no matter how big or small it is. It's just magical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Condi, you just moved South relatively recently. Isn't that true? Yeah, I've only been here two years. I've only been here two years. I'm in Louisiana, in central Louisiana. I'm looking out my window right now, and I'm on a 3,600-acre organic farm. And there's cows in front of me across the pasture and, um, you know, alligators in the bayou behind me. But but I'm good. I'm cool. And um, I'm new to the South, and I freaking love it. And it's someplace I'm from California, and I never thought that I would live here. I never wanted to live in the South. I thought that, you know, just all the harm that happened here just was just too much to bear. And and yet, you know, because of all the harm that happened here, this is also the place where the healing, I feel, needs to really be centered. And my work brought me here. But um, But prior to that, even in Oakland, I always had land and a garden and permaculture going on. It's been my path for a long time. Most people who know me in the urban environment of Oakland didn't know that I'm really a, inside my heart, I've always been a farmer. So I'm living my, I'm living my, my true, my true fullest life right now being here. What you say about the harm and the healing. Yeah. Today's conversation, each uh, episode for this season has had a different theme. We've mm-hmm. talked about laughter in regard to friendship and mm-hmm. how that's, uh, again, all of these conversations are how can friendship and queer friendship, how do, how, what can we, uh, how can, how can what we know up inside good friendship <laughs> Uh, that can help our movements flourish, help us flourish, help all folks flourish. Uh, 
And so we've talked about laughter. We've talked about grief. Mm -hmm. We've talked about accountability. We've talked about making new friends in this season. Uh, but today we're talking about friendship and reparations, friendship and repair. And I wonder, and, and so, of course, when Lisa and Courtney and I were talking about uh, who do we want to talk to, I just said, well, Conda Mason has combined a commitment to reparations in the United States yeah. with a commitment to friendship. Mm-hmm. You invited me into this circle of folks, reparations mm-hmm. all, uh, very yeah. different folks. Some who've worked together for a long time, some who are getting to know each other for the first time. Yeah. yeah. So I just bring this uh, set of questions uh, to you. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about uh, what does friendship have to do with reparations? Because our friendships also sometimes need some reparation, need yeah. some... And in in so many ways, mm-hmm. so it's a big, it's a lot to think and talk about, but I wonder what comes up for you. Hmm. You know, I had no idea what we were going to be talking about today. <laughs> oh. I didn't prepare anything, but off the top where I'm feeling is um, I love, I love what you're asking. I love what you're doing on this podcast. Um So the thing that comes up for me in answering your question, Mackie, I think at the core of the seed of all of this, you know, right, is the idea of truth-telling. I think that friendships, true friendships are truth-telling. Okay. And that means... Sometimes it's hard to tell the truth to a friend, but if you're a friend, you tell the truth. Now, there's ways to tell the truth, and there's right speech or or wise speech, I would say, not being harmful in speech. Um, How do you use, how do you do wise speech? There's many different parts to that, but telling the truth is at the core of a friendship. And Telling the truth is at the core of reparations, right? And I think of, um, right now I'm thinking of the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of South Africa, and with that truth-telling and the depth of that process, the world saw something for, for the first time that was just unimaginable. It was unimaginable that a country like South Africa that had such repressive regime of one group over another. And, and, you know, and the end of it, the end of apartheid could see a process that wasn't just going to be pure blood shed all over the country. And it was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Was it perfect? No, but boy, was it really a model. And those people, I don't know if you've seen it, the videos of any of it, but they had to sit there and say, I'm going to tell the truth of what happened. And the people who's, who were harmed, their family members dead and gone and murdered or whatever, they wanted to hear the truth. Mm. 
And once they told the truth, they had the chance of at least you can possibly be forgiven. But if you didn't tell the truth, you couldn't be forgiven at all. So I think truth telling, and that's what I think about this country, about the United States. You know, what happened here? You know, this whole thing that is that is that is prevalent now around critical race theory or and getting rid of the truth. It's almost as saying our truth is so embarrassing that we cannot tell it. It's so deplorable. We cannot tell it. We have not told the truth. And until and and until we do, we will not have a relationship to the truth or to each other. And I think that that is at the core. That is the seed, (laughs) going back to the seed. That is the seed. And I believe that another thing is that, and because we haven't told the truth about chattel slavery, in this country and the extermination of, of indigenous people and all the things that, you know, there was this, there was a, oh, what is the name of the organization? Forgive me. Um, um, out of um, Montgomery, not, not EJI, but they did a, um, a survey about young people. And it was found out that something like, I think it was like 70% of high school students didn't know that the Civil War had anything to do with slavery. I mean, this revisionist history, this non-truth telling is just deplorable. And so until we get to that place with each other and with our country and individually, and it starts with friendships. I mean, it starts with ourself. Can I tell the truth to myself? Can I accept the fact that I'm not perfect? Can I accept the fact that I make mistakes? What about self-compassion? I'm on a big thing right now about self-compassion. And I think at the core of all of this is self-compassion. And once we understand that that is a thing, first of all, that I can actually be kind to myself, that I can actually say, um, I'm not perfect. Uh, I made a mistake. Um, I'm learning life. I'm learning life. And until I can be good with myself, tell the truth, not try to hide and put up all these things that we do um, that get in the way of friendship. They get in the way of my own friendship with myself and they certainly get in the way of friendship with someone else. So it begins here and then it goes outward. There's the, you know, it goes outward and outward and outward into, you know, the whole society. And so I work personally on first and self-compassion. I'm on this intense thing of self-compassion for the last about four or five years when I discovered that that was what I needed to, to, to focus on. And I've been on this path for a while. And, um, and with that, so once we do that, I think, okay, then the next piece is going back to, I mentioned EJI and um, Brian Stevenson, who is just so brilliant. One of the things he talks about is being proximate. And that, I just love it because we don't tell the truth, so we separate ourselves, literally distancing ourselves. But when we start to tell the truth and we start to learn the truth, 
we can get closer to each other, even as painful as it is. We can actually get closer. And as we get more proximate, literally, our communities come closer together. I get to know who that white face is, that white male face, and you get to know this black female face. And that's what we're doing in the work that we're doing together, Mackie. That's what we're doing with our ancestor journey is putting everybody into this cauldron that's based on compassion, that's based on on our mutuality and looking at the truth. And the truth is hard. And taking it all in together and being proximate, you know, being proximate with each other. And so I think that reparations, um, that those are two of the main keys and, and uh, to to that and friendship and how coming together works and as well as, um, and I would have to say, of course, and adding restorative justice into the mix, because as the hurt comes up, um, we need a process and restorative justice, I think is the process. Yes. So that's kind of my answer to your question. Uh, oh. <laughs> I'm, rarely speechless, but that, that, that was a word. And it, it just brought up so many pieces. Um, we were recently um, in Montgomery, the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle that I run at Auburn. We were recently in Montgomery and we were recently visiting, um, it's called the Mothers of Gynecology Tour there. And um, there's an activist, Black woman activist there named Michelle Browder, and this is to your point of truth-telling, she recently purchased the hospital that Marion Sims performed torture on Black women in the service in the name of, you know, gynecology. And uh, She purchased purchased the the hospital and is converting it into a a birthing center for Black and Brown women, but for all women who need that service, those services. And and then apropos of your work, a community garden and respite center. And the idea also for, you know, birthing people of all races. And, you know, and there are monuments to the women who were tortured there, beautiful 15 foot monuments. And all of it is inside of what you were talking about. Like, if we can tell the truth and mm-hmm. continue to tell the truth, there is mm-hmm. possibility in that for also yeah. building and planting yeah. and and being able to truly rest. Because I would contend that when you're talking that part of the restlessness, the inability to really rest has to do with this this space of not truth telling, being at edge and on edge with yourself and one another, um, and and I think not really being able to even befriend yourself. Um, so right. I, you know, you're, you're talking, and every time I hear Buddhists talk about compassion or these words that we just kind of use, I I'm always eager for you know some definition because I know that there's a that there's teaching underneath when you're talking about self-compassion that may not just be yeah. what that, that folks need to know about. I think. Can you say yeah. a little bit more about compassion? I'm happy to, you know, and um, so 
compassion is is something that that the heart just has this capability it's it's a quality it's a quality of when we turn towards harm when we turn towards suffering when we see something that's harmful and our heart it's our heart's reaction is compassion okay it's 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 what the heart automatically does is and so when it doesn't do that that's because we have all these layers we have all these layers but um think about it when children when they see things that are harm they go oh mommy you know they respond and that's who our hearts are and so when um i think about compassion compassion is about and and we can cultivate that we can get it back and and that's like letting go of all the layers that are are living our lives in the society has has built up all of our walls all these walls of distance again again not being proximate not being proximate to our own hearts we have we have we have created this distance from our hearts okay and people i've i've worked with people i've been with people and sat with people who say i don't feel it i don't feel anything they come to retreat practice saying i don't feel anything and the fact that they are there they are there because they want to feel it and they do feel something okay and they're also aware of the the walls in between themselves and their heart and and so compassion is when we clear those layers and we allow ourselves to face harm and the truth again going back to the truth and face that which is suffering and go into it instead of going around it we'll see something about the man on the street the woman on the street i think you know how many times did we pass those people and don't even recognize these are human beings these are human beings and we don't give them any recognition of decency and we build up this this wall but then really underneath that is this compassion that goes out and so because we don't want to feel that we build these walls and so compassion is who we actually are and what we do is we can like i said we can recultivate it and understand that it is turning towards and and not just turning towards but then the propensity to do something about it you know whether it's an action or just an internal doing something about it you know um that is what compassion is so when we look at self compassion i mean sometimes it's harder for people to be kinder to themselves than to other people they don't like themselves we've we've got these stories in our head that we've been saying over and over about you know you know unworthiness and all these things and it's interesting one of my um one of my teachers jack cornville has the story that he talks about and i love it he was in a he was in a conversation with a group of practitioners with his holiness the dalai lama and he they were talking about things and they started talking about um so how asking his holiness like well how do we deal with this self hatred and this you know this unworthiness that we have how do we and his holiness was going hmm he didn't understand the words and so his translator was trying to translate it and he was like i still don't understand because there's no word in tibetan for any of that right and he just kept trying to you know interpret what they're trying to say to him and his holiness finally got and said no you're wrong 
you're wrong. That doesn't exist to self-hate or not feel like you're unworthy. He couldn't even relate to that. And that is such a major part of who we are. And so if we feel that about ourselves, how do we relate to each other? How do we befriend others? Friendship goes so far, but then we don't really reveal the truth. Again, we don't really reveal our own truths. And so it's really self-compassion is when we start to allow ourselves to be truthful and to go underneath the pain, to go underneath the experiences that the stories that, you know, that, that I continue to talk about what happened and it did happen and it's horrible. Um, but when we go beyond the story and we go underneath all of those things and we get to a place of what's really underneath all of that. And we bring this, and we bring this loving kindness to mm-hmm. ourselves that said, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I am so sorry that happened to me, not you, you know, I'm so sorry, you know, and, and we just are able to hold yeah. ourselves in yeah. a way that is really, and, and, and allow, and allow mm-hmm. it to be because it happen or whatever. We're not, we're not, you know, doing this spiritual bypass thing. We're accepting it. We're allowing it and we're freeing ourselves from it Mm -hmm. by bringing compassion to it. Kanja, I have a question for you. Uh, My whole spirit is resonating. I know what you, I know, I know it. And I have seen you uh, with folk. And that just makes me want to ask, can you tell a specific story of friendship that has been a place of teaching Mm -hmm. in regard to these, this this set of principles, truth-telling, self-compassion, being proximate and restorative justice. How do you learn this or where have you learned this specifically? Mm, I have a love story with my brother who is no longer on this side of, the, of, 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 of existence. Mr. Larry Mason, he, um, he brought so much to me. I was, he's seven years older. He was seven years older than I and just wise beyond his time because he had a body that didn't work. He was disabled and all these things happened to him. And he had a mind though that was beyond and a spirit. And I was his little sister. He saw in me something that I was going to do and become. And he put so much into me. And he was just, uh, he was a bodhisattva wise man. And I learned how to let go of the falsehood of personality how to let go of that which separates me from me and from others. 
because um, he just got bored down to the truth and taught me. He wasn't a Buddhist, but Lord, did I learn Buddhism from him and everything else. Um, and his experience as a person who was always ill and spent most of his life in a bed or in a hospital um, and holding court <laughs> with everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody came to him and he was, you know, and he held court with his wisdom and he was filled with books everywhere. And he became, you know, from, he went from a, from a, from a, from a, a, a black um, separatist to um, a communist, to a socialist, to a spiritualist. And he did this whole thing mm -hmm. in the 60s, 70s. And I followed him. And in the end, he was the spiritualist and he had all of this wealth of knowledge that he brought. And he and I were like this, you know, and um, um, those of you who can't see me, I'm like got the fingers going together back and forth, right? <laughs> so that said, um, I had to learn. He would not not let me learn. <laughs> he was like brutal to make sure I understood what existence was and what it wasn't, who we are and who we're not. And relationship, my relationship with him was um, profound, absolutely profound. And I would not be who I am without Larry Mason. Um, even in letting him go, he taught me how to let him go. He taught me how to let him die. And um, yeah, there was nothing that wasn't a part of our relationship that was real. Yeah, so fortunate. I was so, so fortunate to have him. How beautiful. How mm. gorgeous. Mm. How fortunate. Yeah, how blessed I have been. There's something about brothers and sisters, too. I live with my brother. Yeah. And yes, and so, you know, I have two, but I live with the youngest, he's 12 years younger than me. And this whole experience of, first of all, saying yes um, to relationships, you know, when people are paired in some way, it's usually thought romantic mm -hmm. pairing is the pairing and every other pairing right. is um, is not the pairing. Right. It's, it's less, less than, than that. that. And, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but what does it mean that we pair, that we triple, that we, you know, that we find these spaces with yeah. our people? Mm -hmm. That's right. And there's a lot of different ones of them. I mean, it, it kind of, yes, it speaks into what you're even saying. Because, yes, you were siblings, but even the pairing is not as atypical to it's not that's right and and right now i live with my mm -hmm. sister you know and i have for the last i don't know now almost 10 years we've been living together and since since the boys died um since larry passed away and um we are yeah my sister and i are, are, are a pair oh my god the mason sisters is crazy mm -hmm. so that's like that relationships you know like you said people think that you know that, that the romantic relationship is like the highest exalted relationship and um oh it's so not true 
It's so not true. When you were talking about reparations, and I think about all of the Black family separation that happened during the, the domestic slave trade, all of it. And so to see siblings, pairings, you know, folks who are saying, I think we've always had atypical family structures anyway. But the idea that, you know, what is that healing that we're doing in our communities when we say these pairings matter? We're together. Um, and then have that be a part of the truth telling that we even tell about how we be together and what is and what is repaired that may not even have been broken in our particular line, but is broken in the in the in the line writ large that our pairings and couplings and triplings and whatever it is speak into. And then the other thing I'm thinking is friendship like we the two of us have this friendship, Mackie, and so we're cross race and these relationships yeah. that aren't supposed to be. Um, what is the repair that was that needed to this that's being played out right here? Because you got on the phone, I got on the phone, we looked into Mackie's eyes and said, oh, you're so beautiful, we love you so much. And he did the same. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, Mackie is just so adorable. It's like, I can't even imagine anybody not falling in love with them. I mean, geez, come on. But yeah, I love what you're saying, Lisa, because, um, you know, I always think, you know how Black folks will pass each other and say, hey, sister, hey, brother, you know, we just speak to each other, right? I mean, and and we call each other brothers and sisters. I mean, that's just a part of our language. And um, and it's like, I think we're still looking for each other from that auction block when we were separated and children were separated. I think we're still looking for each other. And and that's why, you know, we, 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 we salute each other, you know, as we see folks that we don't really know, but there's some common experience that we absolutely do know. And um, so I love that part of, um, you know, you know, slavery was horrible and chattel slavery was just terrible. Like anything that's terrible, there's certain th wins that come out of it, right? That humans, because humans, the human spirit, the human spirit is alive and the human spirit can't be enslaved. Um, it can't be exterminated. And so it continues to just um, morph and transition into what is needed now. And what is needed now is for us to find each other. What is needed now is for us to recognize each other. And I think that that's a real important part. And what is needed right now now is this, this place that you, you just pointed to around the cross race. This is what, what is needed now now. I feel like my work, and sometimes I think, I always sometimes wonder, why is my work to work with white people to get them, you know, because sometimes it's like, I don't just want to work with white people. I don't want to, somebody else could do that. I need to work with my people, right? And, but yet my work is to do this. I keep coming back to it. You know, my work is to do this thing of what is needed now, now, and what is needed, what I think is because our liberation is tied. Come on now. 
our liberation is tied and we have to do this work together. We have to have our separate spaces. We have to have our spaces to come together. And so I think what we're doing right now, where I'm working with Mackie on with the Jubilee Justice and the, the our ancestral journey, that we're on this two-year journey together with this mixed race group of people, 50 people for two years together, um, it is a grand experiment. As we trace our lineage and the harm that or all the things that happen in our lineage and we're doing that, white folks doing their lineage, black folks doing their lineage, people doing it, coming together and talking about it and being in the same space around it. Um, it's difficult work. And, um, but we're doing that and um, so far, so far, so good. You know, we haven't had any big, any major um, bad spaces, but people's hearts are opening and realizing that we have to do this together, I think. And that's why I love you all being in a 30-year relationship. It just makes me smile as I feel like I can see it. I could just see it in your eyes and and even the way you spoke about your friendship. I can see it. It's beautiful. You know, what's interesting is uh, all the different, I love how you say couplings and triplings and quadruplings. And there's the way we are meant to be interconnected is endless. And so sometimes it's cross race and sometimes it's not. And something that I'm really learning in this work is that I'm in a circle of practice with a handful of white folk who have these lineages from enslavers and colonizers, and we're working hard together to be accountable, to be both supported, but also uh, challenged. And just yesterday, y'all, I was on a call because people, there was just a worry, right? An anxiety of what does it mean to be completely out about this with all our folk? Does it mean exile? Does it mean uh, loss of um, the people, some of the people who we've always known as kin and family? And right at that moment when that was that, you know, that fear, that that monster mm. was just taking its death grip on the hold of the conversation, my mother came by. <laughs> because I was with my mother in South Carolina yesterday. And I said, Mom, I need to ask you a question. I said, you know, we're doing all this reparations work and and uh, I've asked you questions about a lynching that happened in your hometown and you've told truths about uh, knowledge of, not you, but people in your uh, generations that came before you of, of knowing what happened and not saying something. You said that to me and you put that on the record and you know, I'm making a film. It's going to be on the film. Uh, How do you, how is that not something that makes you feel like you can't handle it? And she said, Mackie, we got to live. It's just the truth. (laughs) We got to be honest. And then, you know, my grandparents, where she was talking about her grandparents and her parents when they were children, she said, and there's more, there's other stories. And and that was 
you know, 1930s. And then let me tell you what they did in the 1950s. They grew. And that mm. doesn't mean that there's not the need for restorative justice, but it's not the whole story. And in any case, and she was saying it directly into the conversation to people who were a generation younger than her. Wow. We don't have a choice, y'all. We don't yeah. have a choice. You want to yeah. live with something other than that restlessness. You want your soul to be free. This is not an option. And it's just one of the things that you name. Yeah. Restorative justice being the other, you know. That yeah. Hand. But that's, we, we yearn. It's like what you said about the people who don't feel and yet they feel. We yearn for this liberation that we also imagine uh, will somehow the process will kill us. In fact, it'll bring us to life. But there's something about getting from here to there that feels um, that feels what? That feels impossible. And yet it won't let go of us. Thank God it won't let go of us. Yeah, it's that urge to actually, it, you know, it's, it's, um, whew, it's really something I think that, um, I just lost my thought, but um, it's this fear that stops us because we think we're going to, I think people think they're going to lose something. And, and it's topsy-turvy because actually what you do is you gain, you gain freedom. You gain a freedom from this unfulfilled life of holding the space small when you allow the space to open, you don't even know, you don't, you're not even aware that you've been clenching until you release it. And you open up the space and people are afraid they're going to lose something. Um, and they are, they're going to lose the, that which is imprisoning their, their hearts and their minds. And, um, you know, when I, I used to work with people and um, I think I worked with this organization. I was a volunteer with a nonprofit. And, you know, of course, back. In okay. I worked with this nonprofit back in the day. And of course, I, I you know, started the social justice committee. Um, and. And it was an all-white organization doing great work in the world, but all-white. You know, some of us folks of color came in and you're like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. And I looked at him, I think, don't you get tired of just you? Don't you understand what you're missing? Mm. You have no idea how much richer your conversations, everything you're doing would be with a whole bunch of other people in the room. And it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how it feels like whiteness doesn't get tired of whiteness or maybe it does and doesn't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. I have no idea, mm -hmm. but anyway, that's, that's, that's something that, um, that I find just 
I, 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 yeah, it blows me away. And it's because we don't know what's on the other side. We don't know the freedom. We don't know the richness. We don't know. We just have a fear of going through that door and not understanding that. Wow. Why did I waste all these years not doing this? Yeah. Oh, Kanda, we could go on, but we have one last question. Um, Okay. What song is getting you through? We're we're music people, and we've been kind of collecting a playlist, but we also see the question about song as a resource for people. How you know a way to resource yeah. them with um, with music, uh, and so we ask everyone um, that question: song, songs, sound, artist. That yeah. it's a, it's a little on the order of the delight question, I think. Oh my goodness, I love music. I love it so much that I stopped listening to it um, when I was in the music industry. I was in the music industry and it just ruined music for me. But I love music. I come from a very musical background and years in the music industry. I was in the music industry for a long time. I would say there are two of my favorite artists. One, um, and I would say is Joni Mitchell. I love Joni. Hmm. People's Party. She's lyric. I mean, can't nobody tell a story like Joni. <laughs> Joni is so profound. She is so profound. Her lyrics are so beyond. As a matter of fact, um, I was just looking at an a, a interview that my, I have a dear friend that passed away named Greg Tate. Boy, Greg, oh my God. And yeah, and I just saw an interview that he did with Joni yesterday online. Um, and he starts the whole article saying, it's so funny that the only people he know who loves Joni Mitchell are black people. <laughs> he didn't think that. And Joni says, black people and white women are my audience, you know. And white but gay Joni, men. And, and, and white gay men, there you go. But Joni is, um, I don't think anybody can touch. Oh. Um, she's mm-hmm. number one, along with Marvin Gaye, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Marvin Gaye, what's going on? I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a desert, deserted island. What song do I take? What album do I take? Mm. What's going on? Ooh, that's a great, you know what, Mackie? I almost want to amend, we're on the desert island. What music, what album do you take? I love that as, as the hook in. Because mm. I'm going to take, I'm, 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 I'm taking anything by Freddie Mercury. Um, oh, yes, because right. <laughs> I love, I love, I love Freddie Mercury. He gives me so much joy. Um, and yes. um there's a song by Queen, Somebody to Love. Mm, yeah, you know, mm, and the line mm. is, can anybody find me somebody to love? I can't believe my voice. But that that is the beginning of the song. And it just, it gets yes. me every time. I would t- you take Joni Mitchell, which now I'm going to have to go listen to her because I'm not familiar. <laughs> and... And, yeah, and, Marvin Gaye well, Marvin, Marvin Marvin goes without saying. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. What's going on? And Court and Spark are two of my favorite. And and then there's um, John mm. Train is the third one. So I have to say, you know, um, da 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 da. Yeah. Anyway, I mm. love John Coltrane. So those are Joni, John, oh, and Marvel. Excellent, excellent. Do you have something, Mackie, to close us out that you love? Well, there's one song. You know how you, I I throw new songs. I was just in the toilet in the airplane last night as I was trying to get home. And there was a fabulous song that I didn't know what it was. So I shazammed it in the toilet in the, you know, and I throw all these new songs in a playlist. And then when I'm sick of that playlist, I uh, start a new one. But there's one song on this playlist that when it starts, I just think, oh, thank God it's this one. (gasps) All right. This is, this is the beat of my, spirit right now and it's it's by Mitski and it's called working for the knife and the the opening lyric is something like i cry at the start of every movie because i want to be making things too and i we didn't even get there kind of but you're an artist you're an artist as an organizer you're an artist as a spirit you're a creative being i have seen it in action that's how I. That's how I feel. You, so maybe that's a conversation for another time. But I'll- that's right. Let's meet in New Orleans sometime. I have a place. Come to- on, I know just the time too, right? That's best. Oh, it's coming. Thanks, Kanda. It's coming. Thanks for being with us today. We'll see you next month as we continue to explore the ways in which friendship helps us to create a world of love and justice. We want to send you out with the words of Winnie the Pooh. If ever there is tomorrow when we're not together, there's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, I'll always be with you. I'll always be with you. We'll always always be with you. (laughs) We'll always be together. (laughs) Something like that.